0: My head, but my head is unraveling. Can't keep control, can't keep track of traveling. I got my heart, but my heart's no good.
1: And
2: you're the Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedden. A uh, word of warning before you continue listening to this episode tonight. If you haven't yet, um, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to our last episode, which was a review of the book Strangeness in the Proportion. Because tonight we're going to have Joshua Allen Deach on the author to talk about it. Uh, we might get a little spoilery, who knows. Um, Rob and I raved about this book last week, so I'm sure we're uh, ready to pick his brain about this. So if you haven't listened yet, go listen and come back to it.
1: All right, a little bit about Josh. Josh is from Chicago was writing video game dialogues in Norway and is currently in Montreal for his next writing gig, where he lives with a one-eyed black cat, <laughs> where he lives with a one-eyed black cat named Raven. He has a fondness for fedoras, finds happiness in voodoo doll smiles, does a pretty mean Christopher Walken impersonation, and once upon a road trip dreary, wrote a blues song about necrophilia. He also writes fascinating internet profiles
2: in the third person. Josh, thanks for taking the time to come talk to us here on Booked.
0: Happy to be here.
2: So we recently reviewed
1: Strangest in the Proportion, and uh, so we talked about what goes on in the book and everything, but we always like to ask when we have people on for interviews uh, to talk about their book in their own words. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Strangest in the Proportion?
0: It's a love story on the other side of entropy. I think that's how I wrote it in my original synopsis. But uh, it's a story about a very eccentric, absinthe-addicted forensic pathologist who Falls in love with a girl who happens to be dead, and uh, she disappears, and he goes off to get her. So it's 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 a romance sort of Ballad Ballad story. <laughs> <laughs> It's a love story with <laughs> hearts and vampires and scalpels and things like that. <laughs>
2: All right, Josh, I'm pretty sure that all of our listeners have caught on to our huge crush on uh, Simon Meeks. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired that particular character and his story?
0: Um, Simon started, uh, actually, when I was pretty young. Uh, I used to go to Key West with my family on on family trips, and... uh, they have a ghost tour in Key West with lots of, uh, eccentric history, lots of strange ghost stories, There's even a, a possessed doll in Key West, supposedly. But, uh, one of them that stuck out to me was a, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now, a, uh, a German radiologist who, uh, fancied himself a count. He called himself, um, i have to look up the name, but, uh, he fell in love with a woman who was in the hospital who, uh, a Cuban woman who was, um, suffering from cancer, and he kind of obsessed about her, even though she's a lot younger than him, and she, uh, she kind of accepted the presence he gave her, and he tried, he fancied himself an uh, inventor, and he tried all kinds of weird devices to, to cure her, but he probably just kind of um, helped the sickness along. But <laughs> right. Eventually she died, and uh, he, he 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 offered to bury her very expensively for the very poor family, and they, they assented, and He built a mausoleum for her, but it was discovered that he never actually buried her or that he took the body afterwards and kept it for several years, uh, kind of as his bride. And uh, it's hinted that he consummated the marriage. And um, he was eventually brought to court and... It was a big sensational thing, but uh, everyone, he, he, he wasn't uh, put in jail. Uh, people f- thought of him as either just harmless or even a ro- kind of romantic figure, so they, just as long as he didn't know where that body was, they thought he'd be fine. And I guess, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this, if you would, I wouldn't say whether or not to classify this man as a, as a romantic or a sicko, but the fact <laughs> that you see him as a romantic was, was just a strange idea, so that kind of stuck in my head, and I think that's where Simon Meeks started. You can be a
1: romantic sicko. I think you can be both,
0: yeah. A whole combination,
1: yeah, for sure. Why not? Um, all right, so this next one is a little bit involved, but um, we we didn't mention Vampire the Masquerade in our review, um, Mm -hmm. even though we we knew kind of the whole story of of at least how your book got started and everything. Um, you refer to Strangest in the Proportion as. Uh, and I'm quoting you, a uh, love letter to Vampire the Masquerade and all of its ghoulish siblings. Uh, mm-hmm. did, you, did you write the book with an audience of Vampire the Masquerade fans in mind, or did you think it would be something that would be accessible by pretty much anybody?
0: I wanted to try and balance between um, making it accessible to anyone, even if they didn't necessarily know the, that game line or the... Uh, the second iteration of the game line, which is actually uh, the second world of darkness, which is just what the novels actually set in. Um, I wanted uh, I wanted people to be able to access it, even if they didn't know the the, the terminology or the or the particulars of that world. But I wanted to also include lots of Easter eggs or references for people that did, and uh, hopefully, hopefully I struck a good balance there. But yeah, I wanted it to be kind of a Gateway book that someone could read it and go, oh well maybe I'd read more World of Darkness stuff, or at the very least, understand the story.
2: Did a really good job with it. I mean, we were aware of it before we were reading it and consciously in my mind, and I'm not very familiar. I mean I'm I'm aware of what World of Darkness is, but I kept trying to see if I was handicapped by not being familiar with it, and not once did I find that happening. So you did a very good job with that. And like Robert said it's purposely kind of why we didn't mention it, because it's yeah. certainly enjoyed by anybody if you're a fan or not.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, and Simon is a character came to my head. Is not something that existed in the world of darkness. He kind of, uh, he's an idea I had. And originally, I, th- I think my original interpretation of him was to be in a non-supernatural setting. Um, and when the contest came along from White Wolf, they had a novel contest uh, where... In various stages you, you submitted a uh, 250 word synopsis and then it built from there to a chapter to a whole uh, draft and they kind of whittled people down until they got to some finalists but when i was originally picking the concept i had some more specifically world of darkness concepts in mind and i had simon meeks and i thought he was the best one and i was kind of afraid to offer him up because uh you know i don't really own him now I'm, I'm, I'm the creator of him but he's in the world of darkness now and i almost didn't use him but i thought that was kind of silly i Figured I should put my best foot forward for the contest, and, and so now we have the world of darkness. Simon Weeks.
1: That's, um, I guess, that's got to be a little bittersweet. You got him out there, but uh, now he's kind of constrained to that one that one area.
0: A little bit. Um, I don't have any real complaints. It was a good. It was a good experience. Um, there's a lot of built-in fans already for White Wolf that get to see this, and uh, who I probably get to tag for my next project. Um, but, but a little bit, um, part of the reason is, uh, even deep into the long, 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 long process of, of getting this out there. I, I still wasn't sure if Simon would, would, uh, work. I didn't know if people would read and be like, why would I root for this guy or anything like that? But people seem to like him a lot. So now it's like, Oh, they love him. And it's Oh, <laughs> I don't own him anymore. <laughs> Curses. But no, uh, White Wolf's been really cool with that. Uh, one of the big things I got out of it was even though the. The, the whole process was delayed by several years in those several years i got to work with a really good uh, editor uh, uh james lauder and he was awesome uh, I, I i i can show you guys a rough draft sometime and, <laughs> and show you the, uh, <laughs> the ways in which he helped me improve it and um uh i i just found how invaluable a good editor is and we really gelled well and i got to i got his services basically for several years
1: okay so Going back a little bit to the contest, um, which I, <laughs> it's it completely my fault I meant to bring up before we started talking about the, <laughs> the book itself, but, you know, it is what it is. I guess what first put this contest on, on your radar? Like, how did you find out about it and how, how big of a pool of people were they pulling from for this uh, contest that you eventually won?
0: Um, that, I became aware of it in like uh, 2005, I think. It was towards the end of, um, I was just about to graduate from grad school, uh, just starting to work on my thesis actually. And uh, I noticed the contest um, either online or it was in the back of one of their books. And it called for, uh, it said, uh, you know, write write us or pitch us a novel set in the new world of darkness. Um, Give us a 250 word synopsis uh, featuring a character and, and, and a plot. And yeah, I sent that in just before I started my thesis, because I think what happened throughout the contest was uh, by the time I actually wrote the novel, at the same time I was kind of writing my thesis, so I
1: did, I did both sort of at once, which is <laughs> Exactly the kind of thing you want to do when you're doing your thesis. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, except for that,
0: it was good timing, because I was just getting out of school, so it was, it was, it was a little, it was a, it was a nice
2: opportunity to jump to <laughs> Well, we recently had a chance to talk to a publisher, and we talked quite at length a little bit about delays in the publishing process. What's what's your take? I mean, what was going through your mind when you know when your project gets pushed back and pushed back again? What, what kind of things go through the the author's mind when that happens? Um, I was uh, there are a few times where the
0: pushback was kind of a a, um, a relief because I knew I got to work on it a bit more. Uh, but th- th- there were times I was worried you know, maybe it wouldn't go through all the way. Uh, White Wolf w- had, uh, had merged with another company at about that time, and everything in publishing was changing at the same time. So that was part of the delay, uh, everything switching to digital, <laughs> White Wolf figuring out what – or a- everyone really figuring out what the hell that meant. Um, so I was just worried that maybe it would slip to the crack somewhere. And because this was a um, – work for hire kind of a thing. I didn't know, you know, I wouldn't I didn't know what I'd be able to retain if it slipped through the cracks. But uh uh a few guys at uh White Wolf, uh Eddie Weatheridge Thomas, uh who kind of helped push it through and, and kept it uh uh kind of through those pitfalls and and eventually helped bring it up uh today.
1: Well I guess yeah my only comment would be that it's obvious that uh the book was very, very well edited. It seemed really, really tight. So um, I don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if that's just by virtue of you being a, an incredible writer, or if there was if the editing process had something to do with it. But it was it was just a really tight book.
0: Um, that was that was several drafts and a lot of help from Jim. Uh, uh, my my rough draft was was a creative mess. I had a lot of ideas thrown out, but it was it was all over the place. Uh, Jim kind of helped me re really outline it, rewrite it. Um, like the first rewrite was major rewrite uh, originally the whole book was in first person um that all got changed simon changed a lot actually i mean he was always the kind of quirky forensic pathologist but in the first draft it was all from his view he had a lot less quirks he was more i don't know he's a point of view character but he he, he had a lot less particular traits and he was more of a sort of sardonic i don't know chuck paulnick kind of narrator voice mm. probably because i think i just read fight club maybe but uh we uh, kind of realized that uh, in switching to third person voice, I thought he'd be much better if he was more lovable. Than, I don't know, sort of a Edward Scissorhands, a really bad day. It's
2: just awesome, and what a great way to put it. Um, but I tell you, you have my interest peaked at first person, Simon, too. When you said that, I like, I kind of like just stopped for a second. I was like, I, I, I want to read that.
0: So. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe the next one,
1: <laughs> all Simon. <laughs> So outside of the world of Strangest in the Proportion, you post a lot of tweet-sized stories. I see on, on Twitter you're dropping stuff with that uh, VSS hashtag a lot. What's your attraction to that, that kind of short format of writing?
0: I think it's uh, having worked on the novel because the novel form is not – I'm not really – it didn't come naturally to me. I'm used to like short bursts bursts of creativity, short stories and things. And the novel was just a real struggle. Um, Especially through some of those later drafts, after years of working on it, and I mean, not in those like five or so years I was working on it, it wasn't—I wasn't working on it constantly. It was kind of on and off, kind of a process. But uh, by year five, it was sometimes hard to get re-excited about uh, you know the same thing I'd been thinking about for so long. <laughs> so it just goes against my my natural level of concentration. Uh, another reason that the editor was good to have—I uh, uh, I don't know if I you know would have. Produced all that if, if I was just sitting at home with just uh, me as my taskmaster. But uh, I think the first thing I did when I finished the, the final draft was I went out and, and, and entered a haiku contest because I just felt awesome. It was like instant gratification, type, 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 instant gratification. <laughs> and somewhere in there I got hooked on doing um, the uh, Twitter-sized stories. Uh, because well, partially because they were so quick like that, and, and I thought maybe it would be a good exercise. And it, it really is. It uh, when you have 140 characters or less to type, it really teaches you how to 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 minimize things, how to uh, um, infer things without saying them, and uh, you know what what little things you can show to to, to hint at a bigger story. And uh, it's been really good practice. Um, my day job right now is, is writing uh, for a company called Funcom. I, I write uh, dialogue for uh, the Age of Conan uh, MMO game. And a lot of times I'm I, uh, I'm kind of in service to very arbitrary uh, amounts of space of text, which sometimes just have it just has something to do with the program I'm using can only take this much text, or or, or, or whatever. And the the Twitter stories uh, really taught me how to be able to cut things down, how to how to say the same amount of story in a very small space but uh, i think it's I think it's just a good exercise to to work on like do one or two of those a day
2: when writing for video games, how does that differ obviously you have the constraints of writing within the the rules of the video game or the character that you're writing for how does that how does that differ from having free reign you know when you're writing your own stories
0: in in some ways it uh you don't um you know it's not necessarily your baby and it's not the artistic thing you want to put out. But um, in other ways, it's kind of freeing. When it's not your baby, uh, just a little bit more braver at throwing words out there. And um, when you have, I find constraints pretty good, actually. When I'm just given complete room, I meander I, I and, and float about. But if someone says it has to be this or this way, I'm, I, that usually gets my, my creativity pumping to solve little, I guess, like logic problems, really. Like, how do I make this story work even though I have these arbitrary... Uh, Uh, Things in the way that I have to meet and still somehow get a story across. Um, Overall, it's been pretty good. I mean, ultimately, I I want to write more novels, and that might eventually eclipse the the game writing. But uh, it's been it's been a cool way to uh, to to do the day job, I guess. Although um, there's something to be said for some of the jobs I liked less. I, I got more writing done after work on those jobs than I did. Uh, with this job <laughs> it's a lot easier to come home at the end of the day and be like well i created something i'll just sit
1: here <laughs> i could have just been pulling I, I, you know like imagining this but I, I i've seen at least on your twitter feed the the name drabble thrown around a lot and i know it's kind of a podcast of of mm-hmm. authors doing stuff what uh do you want to tell us about that because like i've i've been interested in it but not <laughs> i guess not uh i'm yeah, too lazy to go check it out for myself
0: <laughs> uh Drabblecast is my favorite uh, fiction podcast um uh, I don't actually have any stories to them right now. I have some Twitter fiction. They, they do a Twitter fiction contest where uh, uh, you post on their forums, um, and the, the host picks one out every week and puts it on at the end. And I've won a few of those. Uh, I, I'd like. I, I want to submit some short stories. to them sometimes soon, but it's it's. Uh, their tagline is uh, "Strange Stories by." Oh, wait, it's strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners. I might be paraphrasing that, but it's it's. Uh, it's very odd stories um, that are just really good. Like, I mean, there's just some ridiculous concepts that are done well. I remember one story, it's about this planet of snowmen who make meat men when meat storms happen. <laughs> one of the meat men comes alive and destroys them and basically it becomes our civilization. But like, it's a, a very emotional story. You feel sorry for these last snowmen that are dying out. Uh, just some ridiculously concepted stories that are just very emotionally touching. I, like, um, I think one of you guys mentioned Bubba Hotep, I think a few episodes back. It, 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 uh, or, am I, or am I imagining that?
1: No, Olivius is not Olivius, the- that's right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yes. Uh, well, if you like that, you probably like some of the stories of travel cast. just like these concepts that are like ridiculous in some, how they work. And uh, the, the, um, the host, Norm Sherman's really awesome. It's uh, a very funny guy. Um, I listen for his intros and outros as much for the stories and the production values are pretty good. they, they do a nice mix of uh, sound effects and music and re- different readers. But uh, it's, but it's, it's my favorite, uh, it's my favorite fiction podcast.
2: So talking went ahead and bookmarked it and we'll be checking it cool. out.
1: I, I, this may just be me being stupid, but um uh, is it just, it's all published on the podcast? Like all the stories are just in that podcast or is there any kind of print equivalent?
0: Um, It's just the podcast. Cool. Um, they like do some other like side projects and things, and like they, they, they have links usually in the, in the show notes and where maybe you get a print version of that story where it was originally published, but uh, it's primarily the podcast. Cool.
1: Well, we'll definitely be putting... Uh, uh, shit. It. <laughs> definitely putting the right words in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> we'll definitely be putting some links up to that in the, in the post for this episode. All right. And another thing that I know that I've noticed, and uh, I'm sure it's kind of obvious, is that there's kind of an Edgar Allan Poe theme in, in uh, uh, references and strangers in the por- proportion here and there, and also just kind of uh, in yourself. Uh, what's your deal? You got, you got a little uh, chubby for Edgar Allan Poe?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I probably reference him too much, but, uh, but yeah, I like to throw in some Poe references. Um, he's He's been... Uh, He's been uh, the,
1: the big influence since I was a kid. Um, Livius, uh, I, I could out you. I could let you do this yourself. It's your choice. I've never read any Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I know. Can you believe it? Like, <laughs> And I want to put this in context. Livius is the guy who uh, he's probably the, the most uh, prolific reader of anybody I know. Like. Uh, he has recommended so many wonderful books and he reads far more than I ever do. And, and so we were just talking about this, I think yesterday or the day before about Poe. And then he just casually, Oh yeah, I never read anything about him. It was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I can't believe it. So I, I had to, in, in the face of such a, a Poe fanatic, I had to make sure I outed him and, shame,
2: and shamed him for that. I have such trouble reading classics. And my comment Rob was, I, I, I've read some classics. I read, uh, I really liked The Count of Monte Cristo and uh, The Three Musketeers, and then I couldn't think of another class type. So basically, <laughs> I just like Dumas. Yeah, so. he's <laughs> just, du- just Dumas. That's it.
1: Yeah, but like, I mean, if you want to talk about short story, and I think you even mentioned this before, like, Livius was talking about how he had such a hard time finding good short stories, and I was like, the first thing that came into my mind was Edgar Allan Poe.
0: Yeah, I think he was... Probably my main introduction to short stories. Or at least one, one the first time, like a school assignment seemed kind of fun.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Olivia uh, evidently I had, didn't pay I attention no In school, really? Mm-hmm. Like said, read crap in school. I would have I would have looked forward to reading something like Alan, Edgar Allan Poe, at least from what I know of him, versus the crap we had to read. But again, I went. <laughs> <know. laughs>
1: I'm fairly certain that I was reading Poe stories in school, in middle school. That's
2: like how early it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was middle school for me as
1: well.
2: Yeah. Chicago public school. We didn't learn to read till high school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well. Anyway, yes. That that was a, that whole question was an elaborate ruse to outlive us as uh, being a charlatan who never read Poe. That's
0: okay. I was in Catholic school. Where they they're easy upright to read and, and write things about necrophiliacs. <laughs>
2: hey speaking of charlatans um we hear you do some magic would you like to tell us about that
0: uh i haven't really done much lately but i used to do a show back in um a little bit in grade school i was dabbling with it but me and my brother back in uh, high school and college used to do a stage show that uh it's called the mad magician and igor kind of a halloween themed show where it was mostly comedy magic like half the time the tricks wouldn't work to some kind of gory effect or mishap and uh uh yeah we, we used to do used to do stage shows there a few i think a few parties and things but um it's something i've kind of trailed away from but uh i keep trying to get back into it more
1: seems like um some of it may have influenced the way that you wrote simon meeks he had some cards and other random like sleight of hand kind of things he did ah uh, yes yeah that definitely did um yep
0: yeah, uh going back to that second draft when. uh I was realizing I need Simon needed to be more fleshed out. Uh you just start giving him traits, and sometimes they're from traits that you know from other people or traits that you just thought up, but a lot of times they're traits from you that are either rearranged or magnified or just uh, distorted in some way. Uh but but grandma, I I, I don't find corpses attractive. <laughs> it was so nice my main concern, she's about
2: to, she's gonna pick this book up and read it and go, Josh! <laughs> I was just thinking of a way to, to, to turn that into a necrophiliac. <laughs> uh, you know, Simon, I don't know. Simon is, I don't know if he's
0: technically a necrophiliac. I, I don't know the actual definition uh, for sure, but I, I, my guess is that a necrophiliac is someone who's attracted to a person because they're a corpse. And I think Simon is attracted to someone despite the fact that she is a corpse. Very good. He's like wow. a necrophiliac.
2: Necro-romancer.
0: Necro, yeah, necro, necromantic,
1: hey. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're working on now um, or what we might be seeing uh, coming up next from you? Um, I'm being really lazy now, so I'd rather not. Oh, okay. No, I'm just cool.
0: kidding. Uh, I, actually, I've been a bit lazy, but uh, mostly just uh, the writing at work. But um, working on some more short stories, working on a sort of modern, cosmic, uh, Lovecraftian kind of story called uh, Little Sherlock, which I don't know exactly when that will be available, but uh, I will definitely let you guys know. There's already artwork for it. So, In I fact, s- there, was, there was artwork before I started the story.
1: Is that the one? I think I saw something. It's about. I might have seen this picture, and there's some, like they're inside, and they're by a, like a door, and there's like some kind of monster and a person or something like that.
0: Yeah, there's a tentacle monster attacking this woman, and she's got a knife in her hand. It's uh, a friend of mine is is, is um, he did a Kickstarter project to start a Facebook game called Tailtown, which uh, instead of like in uh, Farmville where you spend some time and you get some fake shrubs and things, uh, the prices in this is actual fiction. Uh, like electronic fiction, where you just buy stories off the, the website, and he, he needed some stories to be uh, the prizes for for the uh, the Kickstarter uh, for people that donated. So one of them was going to be a horror story by me, which uh, I'm a little late for, but I will hopefully be done with soon, and and, uh, and hopefully hopefully it'll uh, be as cool as the p- picture of the tentacle monster. Cool.
2: All right, so I'm I'm taking your your old recommendation part. Um, do you have any recommendations of someone more current that we should be looking at? Well, I could say Neil Gaiman, but I really don't have to.
0: Uh, <laughs> he's doing just fine without my recommendation. But I really like Neil Gaiman. <laughs> uh, I like um, Ray Bradbury's another uh, big influence for me. Uh, but as far as current, I'm trying to think who <laughs> is that I read a few things you guys recommended. I read uh, "Light like to Starve" by, which I really liked.
1: Yeah, Axel Tyre, He's a he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I
0: read another story of his on "Dirty Noir." Um, I'm trying to remember now. I really liked it. it. Or I think it was his. Some more guys sacrificing tongues to a volcano.
2: Yeah, that was. I uh, believe that was his. Okay,
0: that one was. I really liked that one.
2: Cool.
1: I think, uh, I just want to go on the record as saying, I think you're the first person that's mentioned Ray Bradbury on the, on a recommendation on one of our episodes. So that's kind of cool. Definitely. Um, uh,
0: his fiction also, he's got a book called Zen and the art of writing. And anytime I go get depressed about being a writer or, 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 or thinking maybe I shouldn't be one. Uh, I read that book and that always makes me feel better.
1: Cool. All right. Anything else you want to, uh, Promote or plug or pimp before we start ramping up the uh, the interview. Well, if you want
0: to wrap your uh, brains on video games, you could play Age of Conan and possibly read text I possibly wrote.
2: <laughs> Age of Conan is that just a lot of grunting? You have to like come up with different ways to.
0: Uh, I have. So- no, they give me they give me a surprising amount of uh, eloquent characters um, and even even the grunting guys they get a little more eloquent with uh, the, the ways they say they'll kill you and tear you apart but uh, but I, I but you I have to write by Krom a lot. by <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what I, I don't play video games it's not really my style but seeing you uh, post stuff on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you end up posting things about little snips of dialogue you're working on. Uh, that's probably the closest I've come to wanting to play a, a video game lately.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. It's a fun game.
2: <laughs> I totally get sidetracked to so see you say something and I go and I'm, I'm on the Age of Conan page reading about Tiberia or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow, olivius Wow. Yeah. I know. Just that topical the second someone says something. <laughs> All right, Joshua, uh, you want to tell people where they can find you online? Uh,
0: yes, they can find me. Uh, my blog is at... Uh, jo- let, me, let me double check and make sure I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah, Joshua Deitch, uh, J-O-S-H-U-A-D-O-E-T-S-C-H dot WordPress dot com. And uh, hopefully sometime in the near future I'll get myself a real website. Um Sometimes technology scares me, but I think I'll figure it out.
1: Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks for taking time to come on and talk to us. Like, uh, like we said in the re- in, in the review, it was a, a long time anticipating reading "Strangeness," and it was it was not a letdown. It was worth the wait. So we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us a little bit about it.
0: Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the awesome review. I'm still blushing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, a big thank you to Joshua Allen Deach for joining us on the show and giving us a little peek inside uh, the mind of Simon Meeks. That was really cool to have him on. Be sure to head over to drivethroughfiction.com.
1: Search for Strangeness in the Proportion. You can pick up a uh, PDF of it right now for $4.99, and that guarantees you once the uh, e-book versions are available, uh, an e-book version of it at no extra charge. This is Rob breaking in uh, after the recording, just to let you know that on the day that this post, which is Friday, December sixteenth, there actually is now available a paperback version of Strangeness in the Proportion, also at Drive Through Fiction. So head over there, and you have the option of choosing to buy the paperback softcover version or getting uh, the the PDF version with the promise of getting the ebook version when that becomes available.
2: And then uh, things to look forward to here on Booked, um, we're working on a fun little holiday project um, with our Dutch correspondent, Malaz Corbier and Axel Tayari. So hopefully we'll have that up for you soon. And uh, we're actually reading um, 1Q84, which uh, was recommended by our, uh, our third member of Booked, Malaz Corbiere. Um, and it also picked up like a Book of the Year award from Goodreads. So uh, we're looking into we're looking forward to getting into that, I should say.
1: Mm-hmm. And then coming up in 2012, which is just around the corner, we are going to start launching or launching? I don't even know if we should say launching. We are...
2: What? Well, I don't know. I was <laughs> debating the word launching. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, anyway, at any rate, we are going to start our our special episodes of Booked where we do kind of an introduction to genres. Uh, we're going to have guests on who are either experts or enthusiasts of a specific genre, and we're going to go into um, some of the books that are recommended for for newcomers and some of the nuances of the genre and stuff like that. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I know that we've got Bizarro on the books, and we're looking to do a couple others
2: at least to get started. Yeah, kind of sub-genre intros, I guess, something that's probably a little lesser read than some of the big genres, but something we have an interest in, and we hope you will, too. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: 101 classes, I guess you could say, with, uh, with teachers that are not us, so they might actually know what they're talking about.
2: There you go. That brings us to an interesting point. We don't have a name for them yet. Maybe maybe some of our listeners can help us name these episodes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Tell us what you want our uh, our intro to genre um, class kind of whatever episodes to be called. And if it sounds better than what we're using, we'll go with it. <laughs> Livius knows that I, I get really hung up on what we need to call stuff, so... Um, we need to find something good. Yeah, so head
2: over to our Facebook page if you have a suggestion. It's facebook.com slash bookpodcast, or you can hit us on Twitter. We're at bookpodcast on Twitter.
1: Oh, that's everything we had to talk about, huh? That's pretty much it. There it is. There it is. All right, that wraps it up for an interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Sneddon. Keep reading. <laughs> was a
0: middle-class girl She wasn't over her head She thought she could stand up in the deep
1: end He had a bulletproof smile He had money to burn
0: She thought she had the moon in her pocket, but now she's dead.